My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you, especially if it's your first time. Uh, but we know that debate rages on. That's what makes all sorts of uh, uh, ESPN conversations happen and uh, radio conversations and within our friends and family is the debating of who is the greatest of all time. And the bottom line is it's subjective because what happens is in our conversation is it, it begins to say generationally, here's who I saw as the greatest of all time. Oh, no, 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 here's who I saw. And we know that phrase, the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, the great legend boxer who grew up across the river from us in Louisville, made it famous when he said, I am the greatest of all time. And uh, this last week, I went back and I watched his video conference about when he said that comment. And what was interesting was this, as soon as he said, I'm the greatest of all time, he said, I've defeated Sonny Liston. And then he goes on to say this, he said, and I'm the greatest of all time, and I'll be the greatest of all time until I'm 50 years old. And then... And then, then you might get me. And what Muhammad Ali was saying in that moment is right now I'm the greatest, but later on, when my knees go out and I slow down and my punch isn't as hard anymore, you'll catch up to me. And what happens is a lot of us, we think that way. I don't know about you, but I grew up and I've heard a lot of people say stuff like this. Well, in my day, in my day, we would have whooped y'all in that game. In my day, right, we walked up, you know, uphill both ways. Well, how, how, you know, what, what in the world had you? In my day, until my knees gave out, until I went broke, until this happened. In my day, until the internet came along, I was the, I was the greatest business in town. And in my day, and here's the thing about greatness, you might taste it for a moment, but boy, is it hard to hang on to. And oftentimes greatness, it's fickle. We might have it and then it moves away and we chase it only to lose it and to figure out how to get it back and it can become overwhelming until we don't feel great. And then what do we do when we don't feel very great in life anymore? Now, as a matter of fact, what I found is this, greatness isn't just generationally. Greatness is a debate that goes on spiritually. A lot of times we wanna say this, hey, all religions are equal, all are equal. We don't want to have one greater than the other. The only problem is Jesus came and said he was the greatest of all time, not because of just how great he is, but because of how great God is and God's mission. Matter of fact, in John chapter five, when Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath and doing good and being obedient to his father, the Pharisees, it says in John chapter five, tried all the more to kill him. And this is, what, this is the conversation he had with them. He called out what they were holding on to as their greatness when he said, no, I'm the one you hold on to. I was God's way for you to experience greatness. Jesus says this in John chapter five. Listen to what he says in verse 39 through 40. He tells the, the, the Pharisees this. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You think because you studied the Old Testament, you are now the greatest of all time. But Jesus tells them this, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to have life. See, Jesus didn't come just to say he was the greatest of all time. He was the one who came to say, I am the greatest of all time and I've come to give you the greatest life of all time. I didn't come just to make this about me. I've come because I've come to seek and save the lost. That is why I have come. See, this is what separates Jesus against anybody else. H.G. Wells got it right. Even though he was a historian and not a believer, he said, everything changes and everything hinges on Jesus. He defines our timeline for all of humanity. The greatest of all time. 
It's Jesus. But it doesn't just affect generationally and it doesn't just affect our spiritual conversation. It affects us personally. A lot of us are struggling, even right now as Christians, to begin to say, is Jesus the greatest of all time? Because we're looking around the place going, man, if Jesus is the greatest of all time, why does our world look like a dumpster fire right now? Man, Jesus, if Jesus is the greatest of all time, <laughs> why is like, you know, half of our country literally on fire? Why is there so much hatred? Why are these things going around? Man, Jesus, if you're the greatest of all time, why is this happening? See, this is where we want to go over the next eight weeks is we want to dive in to God's word. We want to begin to realize who is the greatest of all time because what we'll realize is this, greatness is always determined by what we see. Greatness is always determined by what we see. This is why we argue about who is the greatest. This is why we struggle sometimes to call Jesus the greatest of all time right now because we're looking around, we're going, this is what I see. And if I'm seeing this, Jesus, are you really that great? Matter of fact, this is why the author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where they don't identify who they are. There's a bunch of theologians that argue and debate over who is the author. But besides that point, this author of the book of Hebrew writes to remind Christians about who is the greatest of all time. Because what's happened now is the, the author writes about 60 AD and now Christianity has moved. You know, we just finished this incredible series on the book of Acts and how God moved through the book of Acts and thousands of people became a follower of Jesus and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's doing incredible things. And then it's amazing when that kind of first wave of Christianity hits and then the second generation hits. And there's a man in power in Rome by the name of Nero. And Nero wants nothing to do with Christianity. Matter of fact, this is what he wants to do with Christians. If you don't say that he is Lord, which is again the, the debate of who is the greatest, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord and that Nero is Lord, and if you said Jesus was Lord, here's what Nero was doing to Christians. He would dip them in tar, set them on fire, and use them for light in the palace at night. Kind of hard in that moment to declare Jesus as Lord, if it would cost you your life. And what happens in this second generation of Christianity is people were beginning to lose a little bit of faith in Jesus, going, man, I'm claiming him, but life is getting hard. And what do I do? And Jesus, are you great? And the author of Hebrew writes to say, no, he is the greatest of all time. Remember, Jesus is better than anything else. 86 times in the book of Hebrews, the author quotes the Old Testament and points to how Jesus is greater 12 times he lists how Jesus is greater. Every single chapter, it points to, be, to Jesus being greater. In chapter one and two, it talks about how Jesus is greater than all the angels in the Torah, the Old Testament. He goes on to talk about how Jesus is greater than Moses and he gives us a rest that is greater than any rest or place on earth that we could find. He begins to talk about how Jesus is not only that, he's the greatest leader of all time. And he is also the greatest priest and sacrifice of all time, meaning this, Jesus is our greatest pastor. He's our greatest hope. He's our greatest plan. He's our greatest way of rest for our soul. And what I want us to do right now is, in a little bit, we're going to look at chapter 1 and 2, but I just want us to focus on two verses that are going to set the stage for us over the next eight weeks. Matter of fact, I want to challenge you and encourage you to memorize these next two verses over the next eight weeks. And not just to commit them to memory, but to commit them to practice into your life. To, to maybe say this multiple times a day. 
Because these two verses, I feel like, are the culmination of the whole book of Hebrews that are going to lead us into every single week of conversation. Because over the next eight weeks, we're going to experience some big moments. Over the next eight weeks, we are going to regather in this building and open our campus back up for weekend worship. I cannot wait to be back with you live and in person worshiping. And don't worry if you don't feel safe about returning on October 17th and 18th. We are going to be live streaming the services. We want you to be connected. But we know we're going to regather and this place is going to feel totally different. And our rhythms and our weekends are going to change again. For some of you who have little kids who are trying to watch this and you can't ever make it through on this, you're actually going to be able to have an hour to listen to the Lord and worship the Lord. That might become the greatest hour of your week again. We also know over the next eight weeks, we're going to experience an election. And we're going to be tempted to think that somebody in this world is greater than Jesus. And over the next eight weeks, my prayer for you is that you would experience the greatest of all time, fresh in a new way in Jesus Christ. Over the next eight weeks, when we finish the series, this is going to lead us into Thanksgiving and lead us into the Christmas season. And we're going to begin to look back and reflect on the end of the year. And then we're going to begin to prep for 2021. And we're going to begin to have new visions over the next eight weeks. I'm telling you, a lot of stuff is going to take place over the next eight weeks. I want our attention to be on the greatest of all time because that is what the author of Hebrew points us to. This is the word that I want us to see. This is the word that I want us to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around over the next eight weeks that are going to guide us into every conversation. Because Jesus is the greatest of all time. And this writer reminds Christians who are losing their way who feel defeated and weary. And listen to what he tells them in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two and three. He says this to us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us put all of our attention on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the greatest of all time. And then listen to what he says right after that. He says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And then he says this, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is what I want to encourage you to commit to memory over the next eight weeks. This idea that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who went to the cross and didn't just go to the cross so he could go back to heaven, but now he is the one who can encourage and hold us together as we face opposition as Christians, as we walk out our lives. What's begun to happen for me as I've reflected on this and where we are in life right now and why a lot of times I'm growing weary is this. I'm growing weary because I can't wait for things to return to normal. I'm growing weary because I can't wait to regather. I'm growing weary because I just want to begin to move forward and act like none of this happened over the past season. But that isn't the luxury we get. And here's my mental, I just want to pass this on. This is one of the mental exercises I'm beginning to do as I need to fix my eyes on Jesus is this. I'm beginning to understand that what we're in right now is going to take about a two-year process of life. Meaning this, over the next two years, it is going to be a moving target about how the world is going to change and how our rhythms are going to change and how our life is going to change. And Jesus is saying, in the midst of all of these changes, fix your eyes on me. Consider me so that you will not grow weary and lose 
heart. See, this is what the greatest of all time does. The greatest of all time doesn't just go back to heaven and leave us alone. The greatest of all time says, you focus on me. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. See, life is a journey. We think life is just linear. Let me just move on. Let me get forward. No, life is actually, it looks kind of like a heartbeat where it's like this all over the place. You're going through life right now and it is all over the place. Fall break is about ready to start. Man, we're not really going through fall break in a normal season. It is all over the place. And what I've found in my own life is this, the adrenaline of all the changes, it's worn off. Oh man, it's so cool, Zoom. Uh Uh-huh, don't say that Z word again around me, all right? We're going, I don't want to hear it anymore. Oh, it's so neat, man. I get to wear shorts to work. Some of you are going, can I just wear a suit again, please? And what's happened is this. Life, we're finding out is this. Life is not a sprint. And life is just not a spurt of, hey, here we go, some adrenaline blast. For some of us, man, we've used up all the adrenaline we got. And the tank is empty. And the writer of Hebrews is speaking to you right now. He's going, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This last week, I traveled for the first time during all this pandemic, went on a flight, and uh, actually took a picture of this because, man, it, just, it was just speaking to my soul. I want to put it up there on the screen for you to see. Uh, this is just a picture. I was just sitting in, in the plane, first flight, I think in like seven, eight, maybe nine months for me. And... Uh, There's something about sitting in this kind of aluminum tube that makes you feel so small and insignificant that it actually does your heart good. And in this time, it was about a three-hour flight. I had a time to fix my eyes on something else. Matter of fact, I thought for a while, and I I think I might even do this in the future, one of the spiritual disciplines that I need in my own life is I think I just need to take like flights to a destination, land, eat lunch at the airport, and fly back. The undivided attention, the view, what I'm finding in my own soul is this. Yes, I need to be in God's word, but not just do I need to be in God's word. I need new habits and new rhythms for me to experience the greatest of all time, Jesus. For some of us in this next season of over the next eight months, we're going to begin to share some ways for you to experience God in a fresh way because all of us, we have different personalities. We have different wiring. Even though I love to be around people, what I'm realizing is this, I need ample amount of silence and solitude and reflection and beauty to do my heart good so I can see the greatest of all time. Yes, we need to be in God's word. But we're also souls and beings that need connection with our Heavenly Father. And this is what the author's saying. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I don't know what this will look like. And I pray over the next eight weeks, you'll begin to discover some new rhythms to connect with God. Some new ways to connect with him. Because what the, what the author says is this. That Jesus, the greatest of all time, is the author of our faith. We don't have to figure out this whole thing about Jesus. He is the author. He wrote this. He designed this. He is the one who's holding all things together. Matter of fact, listen what it says in Hebrews chapter one. He writes and he opens up because that word author, when when he says that in 12, that word author literally means architect, the foundation, the designer, the creator of all things. Let us fix our eyes on our author. You wanna figure out what life is all about? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to figure out how to get through this season? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
This is what the the writer says in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. He just goes out of the gate pointing people to Jesus. He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, right now, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heirs of all things. And through him, he made the universe. Do you realize this? Jesus made the universe. He didn't come just to save the universe. He came to save what he made. And the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Do you hear what the author's doing here? He is coming out of the gate with an uppercut saying, Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's greater than angels. He's greater than anything that we could create. Everything was made through him. He is the radiance of God. This is why you and I, we can't look at the sun, right? Especially through a telescope. You know, if you look at the sun, you just burn your eyes out. You know, this is why we can't look up. He says he is the radiance of God. And and you go, well, what does that mean for us? What it means for us is this, Jesus is so holy, so good, and he knows for us to see God in his fullness, it made it burn our eyes out. It'd be like Raiders of the Lost Ark moment, right? You can't look in there, man. It'd just totally kill us. And what happens is this, Jesus knows you can't see God's full glory. And so what you can see is God in humanity. You understand that's why Jesus came to earth? So that you and I could see the radiance, the goodness, the glory, the greatness of God. That's why the writer says he is the exact representation of God. Some of us, we struggle. We see God in the Old Testament. We go, man, God, he's a violent God. I thought God was loving. I thought God was this. And we have all these questions. And this is why the writer says this. Oh, time out. No, no, no. He says, Jesus is the exact representation. He is God. Here, flesh, and literally when he says he is the exact representation of his being, being, what he means is this, it's the word character. That when we see Jesus, the greatest of all time, you see the character and the person of God. See, this is why we gotta fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see who God is. We see God's character. We see God's love. And he is sustaining, he says, all things together. But then he says this, And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Some of you are like, Nate, I'm not impressed. Okay, you know, okay, he's the greatest of all time. It's still subjective. I don't agree. This, that, the other. I I, I get it. Can I let you in on something? Here's what we've got to see, right? Greatness is what we see. We have to see Jesus as our success. But in order to see Jesus as our success and the greatest of all time, you and I have to see Jesus in our failures. Let that sit there for a second. See, we will be debating and subjective about is Jesus really that great and all this other stuff's going on in the world and this, that, the other, and we will deflect the conversation to everywhere else except our own sin. And the writer of Hebrews is writing 
to remind them and remind you and I of the greatness of God, that everything was made through him. Everything holds together through him. He is the radiance of God. He is the character of God. He is God. He is God for us to know who God is. And yet he is our purification, meaning this, you and I are broken people. And you and I will actually never fully see the greatness of God until we see him in our failures. See, this is what sets Jesus apart from every other God. Every other God, every other religion is this. You have to attain. You have to earn. You have to go after. Our God says, in your weakness and in your failure, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. This is our author. This is our architect. This is our cornerstone. This is our Lord. He comes after us. See, this is where we see the greatness of God. That in our worst moments, we see Jesus at his best. That when you and I carry around our sin and shame and failure, he's going, I don't just need to convince you of this. What I want you to do is I want you to let me into your failure so you can see my greatness at work in your life. So you can see my grace at work in your life. So that you can see my mercy at work in your life. And not only in your life, here's the deal. You know how you handle the failures and the non-greatness of everybody else? It's through the greatness of Jesus. See, when we experience his greatness in our failures, we can now learn how to love and forgive and move forward in the experience of the failures of others. See, this is how great Jesus is. See, a lot of times when we say they're the greatest of all time, here's what happens. When people are the greatest of all time, you know what I found out? Uh, Not that I get to spend a lot of time with people who are at the top of their game, uh, but one of my buddies, he got to spend some time a couple years ago with Manny Pacquiao, uh, the greatest, one of the, what will go down as one of the greatest boxers of all time. And uh, he's a pastor out in California and I was chatting with him and he goes, I got to go do a chapel service for Manny Pacquiao at the MGM Grand. He's a big time Christian. He wants to worship the Lord. He said, and and, and he goes, "The, the people told me, hey, I'll meet you in the lobby and he goes I, I came walking up and I thought okay I'll meet one of the Manny Pacquiao's representatives and then I'll go hang with Manny he, and he said when I walked into the hotel lobby of the MGM Grand he goes I thought I was in trouble because like 40 security guards were waiting for me and what he found was this the only way that I could spend time with the greatest one of the greatest boxers of all time is to have this massive entourage keep space between me and him The greatest of all time comes to earth with no entourage because he came to be accessible to you and me. See, this is what makes Jesus great. He's not just the greatest out there and he's not just the greatest up there or over there, but man, you can't get to him. He is going, I am trying to get to you. This is why the writer says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, we're trying to perfect our faith. Jesus perfects our faith. This is why our eyes are fixed on him. He is the author. He is also the perfecter of our faith. The question is, are we letting Jesus perfect our faith? This is why he goes on to say this in verse, or we we hear this in verse 12, uh, verse two of chapter 12, where he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy? The joy was Jesus was committed to doing the will of the Father, which was saving you and me. 
And you remember Jesus' prayer in the garden, don't you? God, if you can make this cup pass, please do it. But not my will, what? Your will be done. Your will be done. See, he's the author. The greatest of all time is also the perfecter of our faith. See, he is the greatness. And we, when we can't perfect things, and I know that sometimes that irritates us, doesn't it? Okay, let me be honest. Uh, that irritates us a lot. Matter of fact, uh, my friends were making fun of me this week uh, when I flew out of town uh, because when I put in directions to go someplace, I never hit route because I hate the voice on my phone. So I always just kind of have it open to where I can see it and I can take another route if I want. And they, <laughs> they just jokingly go, hey, uh, you like control a bit? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, why won't you let the lady direct you on the phone? I'm like, well, you know, I just don't like the voice. No, it's really because I want to be in control. And we want to control everything. We want to control the route and we want to get there how we want to get there. And we want to be in control. And see, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we do is we give up our control. And we say, it's not about me perfecting it. Jesus, this is about your perfection, perfecting me. See, when we look our eyes on Jesus, when we see Jesus, what we find is someone who is fixing their eyes on God. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he constantly was fixing his eyes on the heavenly father. The writer of Hebrews says this. He, he was reminding them of Jesus' greatness. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, listen what he says. He says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Literally what's amazing is that that phrase there, we must pay more careful attention, means this, to obsess, to obsess. Boy, I pray over the next eight weeks for us as a church, we obsess over Jesus. I can't wait to regather. I love it. Can I tell you something I'm more excited about for us than just regathering? Obsessing over Jesus. Man, obsessing over Jesus. Because here's what I found as I read this. Man, he must, you must pay more careful attention to the greatest of all time. Therefore, not just because, yeah, you better do that, right? Why? Because I said so. No, 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 that's not the answer. You know why the writer says you need to obsess over Jesus? So that you and I do not drift away. You and I do not drift away. Man, let's be honest. This past season, it's been easy to drift away, hadn't it? We lost all of our rhythms. We're not gathering. This is going on. This is going on. It's easy to drift in this season. It's easy to drift. What the writer is saying is this, that your obsession, your obsession fuels your direction. Whatever you obsess on in life, that's where you're going. That's where you're going. This is why he's going, let us obsess over Jesus. Let us obsess over the greatest of all time, who he is in his word. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. Man, let us obsess. I love it. Man, this is my prayer and our hope over these eight weeks, man, that we would just become more obsessed with Jesus. We would become more obsessed because this is what happens. We argue about the greatest of all time. This is why all of us argue about sports around here and who's the greatest organization and team and this, that, and the other. And when you get into it, you know all the facts about your team. You know all the deals about it because you've obsessed over that. You've obsessed over it. Right? It's hilarious. I'm learning about this little town called Waco, Texas. 
And everybody's like, oh, you got to go there, man. You got to go there. Oh, why? What's going on in Wake Off? That was crazy. Chip and Joanna Gaines. It is the greatest designers of all time. You got to take your wife. And I'm like, well, tell me about it. Well, there's food trucks here, and then there's this here, and you can go here, and Magnolia, da, 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 da. I'm like, because you've obsessed. You've obsessed about the design. You know about the design. And our obsession, it fuels our direction. I love uh, Larry Osborne. He's one of my favorite pastors. He pointed this out. He said, hey, you ever realize that nobody ever plans to go to Denny's? He goes, nobody ever calls Denny's and go, uh, are, you, do you, are you guys taking reservations? Because there's four of us. I'll be there at eight o'clock Friday night. It's our, it's our anniversary. We're going to Denny's. He said, nobody ever says that. He said, you never call ahead for a reservation at Denny's. He said, but somehow you just end up at Denny's. It's 1 a.m. You're driving through. Man, what's there to eat? Uh, nothing. Denny's it is. Or there's another time, oh, restaurants are full. And he goes, and what happens is you just kind of drift to Denny's. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this, be careful. Be careful, man. If you quit obsessing about Jesus, if you quit obsessing about the Holy Spirit, about the greatest one of all time, Jesus Christ, here's what's going to happen. It's not just you have to or else God's not going to love you. He loves you no matter what. That's why he wants to save you. Before you even love him, he's going, here's why I want you to obsess about Jesus so your life just doesn't drift. I learned this. I thought this was fascinating because sometimes, especially for men, that, that people go, how is it, you know, you can be 60, 70, 80 years old. Even for me being 38, I remember uh, the, the, the game I had the most rebounds, right? This is back in 1999. I had 12 rebounds against Clarksville High School, right? I, I remember all this other stuff. It was when I scored my first points, you're going, Nate, how can you remember all that stuff? Come on, Uncle Rico, move on, right? Let it go. All this other stuff. How is it that men who are 60, 70, 80 years old can remember all their stats and this and that? And what they found was this, researchers found this, you know how men remember those things? Because it's like, how can you remember that and forget the groceries, right? How can you remember all those things, but you can't remember this one thing that I've asked you to do? And you know why? They found the common denominator is this, emotion. Emotion. Emotion is what is tied to memory. It's emotion. And it doesn't need to be sports. and doesn't need to be all these things. It could be business accolades and this, that, and the other. But for men, what they found is this. What makes an imprint on your life, what you remember in life, is what you had emotions about. Now, I'm not saying you need to walk around being all emotional. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. Unless you give yourself wholeheartedly, mind, heart, body, soul, spirit, grit. See, a lot of times, especially for men, this is what we've done. We've let faith be separate from all emotion and drive and obsession. This is why we think faith is weak. Until we look at Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. There is nothing more emotional, brutal, violent Go steady it. Go steady Romans crucifying. Brutal, horrific. Why? Because Jesus knew his obsession. His obsession was on the Father. Everything about his being was about his heavenly Father. See, it's not about you and I just having a better faith, have a greater faith, just do better things. No, you know what it is? Start obsessing 
about the one who is the greatest of all time. Start letting him in to the places of your heart and your life that you block everything out. Start allowing the greatest of all time to become the greatest of all time in every place of your life. Your plans, your desires, your family, your neighborhood, your calling, your work, how you love, how you lead, how you think. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, so you will not drift, so you will not lose your way. I remember uh, when I was reading this passage, the first thing that came to my mind was this picture. Uh, It's kind of a weird picture. Uh, Anybody might remember this. Uh, Again, this shows my age. Back in my day, this was a great movie, you know, and it's the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. And uh, you remember the, the name of this volleyball, don't you? Wilson, uh, because Tom Hanks was, was left after a, pra- a plane uh, crash and he's on an island and Wilson became his friend and, and you know, he became this person and his buddy and he had, it was his friend and he didn't have anything. And I remember this moment in the movie, right? You talk about emotions, right? I had allergies severe during this moment uh, of the movie. Here's the other picture was this, this scene where Tom Hanks, Wilson fell off the raft and it started drifting. And you just felt the pain of Tom Hanks. Stretch out his arm and go, Wilson! Wilson! And he just starts bawling. Because he's drifting. It's the first thing that came to my mind when I read that passage. It began for me to think about the heart of our Heavenly Father about how he was echoing into the world to all of us who have drifted from him, calling your name through the person of Jesus Christ, through the person who has perfected our faith, the greatest of all time. See, Jesus isn't just about his greatness. Jesus was always about the greatness of the Father, and the greatness of the Father was that he was sending his son to rescue you and me. That he was sending his son to come after us. And he's going, hey, obsess over the one who's come after you. Obsess over the one. Refocus. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition. Obsess over him. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's not about obsessing over our heavenly father so he'll love us. It's about obsessing over our Father so you and I can experience the love of the Father. See, here's the greatness that we see in the book of Hebrews. Later on in chapter 2, it talks about why Jesus came. And see, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't wait for us to become like him. Jesus became like us. This is why we can see the greatest of all time. Matter of fact, look at this in chapter 2 of Hebrews. The author is saying this, he's greater than angels, he's greater than the Torah, he's greater than the Old Testament, and here's the thing, he is the greatest human of all time. 
He says this in verse 14, chapter two. He says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you see what the greatest of all time did? He's going, oh, you're in humanity, you're flesh and blood. I need to become flesh and blood. So I can free you from not just your sin, but from also your fear of death. Because here's what happens. A lot of us, we will live, if we don't know the greatest of all time, all we will do is this. We will live with the greatest fear in our time. Whatever your fear is, that's what will drive you. And you will live by that. This is why Jesus came. So that he would destroy him. Satan. That's what he did on the cross. He was destroying the work of Satan. He was destroying the work of sin and he was giving a new way to live. It says this in verse 17, for this reason, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me just ask you, what do you see today? Now, what do, what do you see? Thoughts, fears, emotions, what do you see today. And will you see the greatest of all time today? So you don't need to hide or act like there's thoughts that are controlling your hearts and mind right now. All you need to do is this. You just need to see Jesus. You need to see the one who came so that he could destroy sin and death and who became like us, not just so he could save us, but he could also help us because we're tempted. Man, we're tempted to drift. We're tempted to obsess on other things. And the author and the perfecter is rescuing us. The greatest of all time has come to be with us. Here in a moment, we're gonna take communion, the bread and the juice. And I love this time because what happens is it's a humbling time. It's a moment. We do this every week here at Northside when we regather. Uh, we're we're gonna figure out how we can do that in the best way possible. But right now, I wanna, I wanna invite you to take your bread and your juice right now, if you've got it. Or let me explain to you why we do this. See, when we take the bread and the juice, we declare, yes, we are fixing our eyes on the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame and is now with the Father. He went and he died for our sin, but he didn't just die for our sin. He is giving us victory right now. And so as much as when we take the bread and the juice, we remember that we are sinful, broken people that need saving. Yes, we remember our sin, but we also remember our victory in Jesus. And so in this moment, see your sin, confess your sin, don't hold back, let him know because he has come to help us.
because he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin and is the greatest of all time. Right now, we're gonna put these words up on the screen. It's the communion verses that I want us just to think about. We're gonna put them up on the screen right now. I just wanna read them over you. And I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna take communion together. Let me just read these words for us one more time. Because our mind and our eyes and our emotions, we're fixed on everything else. And I just want us to listen to these words. It really is my encouragement for you, my challenge for you over the next eight weeks to meditate on these words, to memorize these words, to set them deep in your soul. Maybe if you wanna read these out loud with me as I read this, feel free or just listen to them. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Heavenly Father, right now, as we take communion, God, we do it with so much mixed emotion. God, we know our sin and failure. We know our shame. And yet in the midst of our sin and failure and shame, you call us to fix our eyes on you. So Jesus, today as we begin this journey, fixing our eyes on you, God, I pray that we would see you for who you really are. The heavenly father who sent his son, who wasn't just the creator of of everything, but who's also the sustainer of everything, the purifier of us, the radiance of you, the character of you, the conqueror of sin and slavery to death and fear. So right now, Heavenly Father, more than anything else, we look to you. We look to Jesus. We look to your victory. Thank you for constantly looking for us. And so right now, we look to you and we say thank you. Thank you for saving. Thank you for leading. Thank you for conquering all things. And it's in your name that we pray right now, Lord. Amen.